0: Welcome to the InnovaBus podcast, where our job is to help you build visibility, professional credibility, and connection with your ideal client by putting the human at the center of innovative marketing, so you can build and strengthen an engaging, enduring relationship with your ideal clients. I'm Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz, and I'm honoured that you're here with me. If you haven't yet joined our wonderful Flywheel Nation community, go to flywheelnation.com and join in the podcast conversations. Do subscribe to the show and also leave a review because it helps others find us. Let's get into today's masterclass on this Innovabus podcast.
1: In the meaning-driven world, we have to integrate ambition into meaning. The core driving question evolves from "What do you think of all my stuff?" and "What do you think of me?" to "What can I get?" Evolves into the states person, which is "What can I give?" What's my content without ego? I'm talking minus virtue signaling and all that goes with that these days. It's genuine contribution where you live your life in awareness of humanity where this attitude carries with you in every nook and cranny of your life. Even to the point where you're walking down a supermarket aisle, you'll see a stranger walking the other way and because of your awareness, your contribution attitude, you'll just acknowledge this stranger walking the other way. You'll just smile and acknowledge their existence. You might even say hello and you keep going. The impact that that makes on that person can only be positive.
0: Hi, I'm your host Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz and I'm really excited to welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast today from Noosa in Queensland on the Sunshine Coast. You're my second guest actually today from the Sunshine Coast. That's uh, quite amazing. Lovely. In Australia, of course, Joe Pane, who's the founder of JP Coaching and Training. Welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast, Joe. It's a great privilege to have you as my guest. Thanks, Jürgen. It's been a journey to get here, but we're here. It's great. (laughs) Yeah, That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I should go up to the Sunshine Coast. There's <laughs> so many <laughs> podcast guests there. Now, yeah. Jem Fuller, who was our guest most recently, he's been a guest a couple of times. He, most recently, he was on episode 571 of the Inova Buzz podcast. He introduced us and suggests we have a
1: conversation. So, big hello to Jem. Yes. So, yeah, I've known Jim for a while. He, um, he, was, uh, he came to all my trainings and some of the events that I used to run, uh, a few years ago so that's how we uh, we met in fact i was running a training for uh many many years ago when he was uh, working for flight center um i ran a training there and he asked me what do you do how does it all work and that kind of like got his picked his curiosity about running your own consulting and training business and uh yeah it's transitioned into that and uh yeah it's doing well
0: yeah interesting so i didn't realize you you went back to his flight center days
1: yeah, because that's where I met him. Uh, they Flight Center invited me in to run a couple of sessions on emotional fitness. And um, yeah, that's how we, how we literally how we met.
0: Mm, wonderful. Now, you just touched on the word there, emotional fitness, which is something that I think we'll explore in a little bit of detail today, which I'm really looking forward to it. Um, you also work a lot about our relationship with uncertainty, which is something that I think we all struggle with to a certain degree. Um but before we tackle those things, what what's
1: the impact you're making in the world today, Joe? Um, well, I'm hoping I'm making a, a positive impact. Um, so these days, of course, with technology and my my business converted online, like a lot of people a few years ago, so um, the the impact in terms of transforming uh, people's relationship with uncertainty has been quite uh, quite immense in the sense that. Um, I personally believe that our relationship with uncertainty is the single most important relationship we could possibly have. I mean, clearly, there's other relationships that matter immensely, the relationships we have with our wives, husbands, partners, sons, daughters, etc. But I mean, from a psychological standpoint, um, the impact has been focusing narrowly on how to help people have a more healthy, robust, flexible, adaptable um, connection with uncertainty and how to utilize this relationship, which I'm happy to go deeper into here in our chat, in in all kinds of circumstances, whether we're talking macro life crises, situations, all the way down to, you know, uh, a micro version of it uh, in our daily experience. Mm,
0: Yeah. And of course, you touched on moving your business online. I'm not sure whether that was a conscious decision or whether it was a reaction to the pandemic. Um, Certainly, that would have helped in, in the days of the pandemic and lockdown. But the the advent of the pandemic and what we've been through in the last few years certainly has tested all of our um our relationships with uncertainty in various forms and and it was interesting for me to observe how many people really struggled and i I kind of related that to well you're really struggling with the uncertainty of what, what we're facing here and and many people kind of talking about, well, the lockdown, how bad the lockdowns were and, and just sort of really negative about the things that were happening rather than focusing on, well, I can't change that bit. I can't change the fact that the pandemic's out there and it's infecting people, uh, but I can change these things. So let's focus on that. For example, moving businesses online. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So talk to us a little bit about how that whole relationship with uncertainty, well, the whole pandemic and the situation we faced there, how that really kind of put the spotlight on where the gaps were in in most people's relationship
1: with uncertainty. 100%. So um, one thing that the, the unusual circumstances of lockdowns and restrictions, et cetera, did for humanity or did for lots of us um, is it made transparent and amplified the strengths and weaknesses of our characters. So in other words, what I mean by that is that um, and it also was an amplifier. The, the, the pandemic, the shutdowns being locked in your home, et cetera, amplified the quality of not only your relationship with uncertainty, but with the people around you. So in other words, if you were in a home where the marriage situation, and I just talk about marriage because I've been married for 27 years, so I'll just that's what I know. Um, if the marriage or, and the family dynamic was really ordinary, jurgen, you know, if there was just like average connection and nothing special um, and there was inconsistencies with that, um, along comes a pandemic and all these these four people or six people or three people or whatever the family unit is, is contained within, you know, a typically a 150 square meter space, uh, well, having to stay there day on day, 24 hours a day is going to amplify the weaknesses of that relationship. Uh, for myself, I'm very blessed and, and, uh, very fortunate that Silvana, Silvana is my wife, Silvana and I have been married. We just celebrated our 27th wedding anniversary last week. And we've got a beautiful relationship, uh, with with each other. Uh, and also with our twin sons. And so the pandemic actually brought us closer together, which is reports that we hear a lot about. And of course, it amplified the opposite end of the spectrum. Domestic violence went through the roof. Um, Mm. Drug abuse went through the roof, and all the other various choices of abuse went through the roof. So, But those abuses were there already. It's just that they weren't as obvious, not as amplified, not as transparent. Mm. And so what uncertainty does is it... Uncertainty is probably one of the most masterful of teachers, because what it does, Jürgen, it, it actually shows us who we are. It shows us what we're capable of, not capable of, what we can handle, can't handle, what we're willing to tolerate and not tolerate. I, I also believe that, and based on the sessions that I was delivering for lots of different companies and groups uh, during that two year period, because uh, I was in Melbourne, uh, so we moved to Noosa um, in in November 2021, just toward the end of it all. So you know, we were in that you know the, the marathon lockdown and all that kind of stuff. Um, and what I found was that that the uncertainty itself became like a window into the unconscious mind, because what it does is it it gets it gets us to go, okay, clearly this is what i am wired to handle or not handle connect with or not connect with it's it's the relationship itself amplifies the strengths and weaknesses that we have with other things in other parts of our lives and um, and i i remember many times um, you know helping organizations and teams on zoom in those times where people were becoming hypersensitive that's a good word hypersensitive mm. to yeah. overwhelm and uh, like a, it's almost like a hypersensitivity to uncertainty because there was so much going on. Because we, yeah. we were ampl- everything was amplified, wasn't it? You know, mm-hmm. everything was unknown, especially right, in March man. 2020 when it all started, Jürgen. And I'm sure you remember that time too.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, all too well. The, um, one of the things that struck me was, I mean, I was reflecting back a lot. And there are a lot of things that hit me early on where I was actually grateful for them. Um, And there were things like, well, all of a sudden my wife and I had more time to go for walks together because I, instead of going out bike riding with my bike riding group in the morning, which I wasn't allowed to do anymore, um, my exercise would be go for a walk and I'd go for a walk with my wife. So, oh, this is cool. We get to spend more time together and I was also grateful because my daughter was living in an apart, a small apartment in Melbourne and she complained all the time because she basically couldn't get out of the four walls other than that one hour time frame that we had during that really intense lockdown. And I was grateful, you know, we can go out into the garden. We've got our own little garden. We can go out, walk there. So it, it, it kind of occurred to me that gratitude was something that many people were, overlooking in that time and the other thing I became really grateful for is kind of amusing in hindsight is that all of a sudden all these customers that hadn't embraced um, having meetings online and were still asking me to drive an hour or two hours for a, for a half hour meeting to uh, touch base on, on a few little things and I'd spend two or three hours commuting all of a sudden now those meetings ended up being online and also those customers said this actually works really well we should do this even when we don't have lockdowns. so there are a whole lot of little things that i was grateful for as well but the idea of um that finding things that we can be grateful for in times of uncertainty talk to us a little bit more about that and is that a reframe that that really helps us
1: yeah absolutely um before I get on to gratitude, because that's a, that's a really important point that you make, is that the other thing I want to share about uncertainty, uh, and we'll circle into gratitude in a few minutes, if it's okay, Jürgen, I just wanted to add that there is that there has always been a gift of opportunity or a gift in, in the form of a benefit in the echo of uncertainty, like later on. You've just highlighted a key benefit there, meaning you've saved yourself hours and hours, God knows, dozens of hours per month, perhaps of driving because everyone's accepting now, oh, this seems to work. Because I wasn't convinced that this Zoom business would work for my business because I, I run intimate trainings, they get emotional, they get intense, they get deep. I thought, oh, no, you have to be with the people in the room. Uh, but yet, same impact on Zoom or whatever platform we use. Um, it's the same impact. And uh, so that's that's been amazing. The, the more profound the uncertainty, the bigger the benefit. The irony is that the last thing that you want to hear when you're in the tunnel of doubt and the tunnel of fear and the tunnel of uncertainty, the last thing that you want to hear is there's a benefit in this for you. It's like mm-hmm. let's you don't want to hear that because you're dealing with the issue. But like looking at my family and I, we wouldn't be here in Noosa and Acres living in Noosa Hinterland if it wasn't for the pandemic. Because the, without the pandemic, we wouldn't have Zoom. Uh I wouldn't have, my business wouldn't have converted on Zoom and there was no way that I was going to live here and travel 20 days of the month, every month, to go to Melbourne and Sydney and all this sort of stuff. So um, th- that was a massive benefit for our lifestyle and there's other ripple effects and benefits to go with that. So I just wanted to highlight that because the thing is in people's psychology, sure, gratitude is part of an, an important, you know part of emotional fitness, being an emotionally fit being, gratitude is a part of that. And, and, I'll, and I will go to that in a moment. Be- but the other thing I wanna uh, share about psychology and mindset is that the way that we view the world, our perception of of walking into that meeting or being on a meeting like this, our perception is nothing more than a psychological construct. And psychological construct is just a fancy way of saying that we see the world through the filters of our belief system. Hmm. And our belief system is nothing more than a series of convenient assumptions. And these convenient assumptions are created by correlating two mutually exclusive ideas together. So if I have this idea pen and my, my, my mouse here for the laptop, these are two mutually exclusive ideas. This might represent relationships or this might represent uh, uncertainty. And this might represent fear, but yet fear and uncertainty exist independently. Fear exists without uncertainty and uncertainty can, can exist without fear. But if I have created a link between these two, stories, experiences, evidence, And now I create this correlation between these two things. If I believe that if I do that um, um, often enough, I've created a link in my neurology. And now my belief becomes that uncertainty correlates with fear. Therefore, Mm. uncertainty is something to be feared and something to be moved away from and something to avoid. Um, And what I want to share with you here is that we can shift those correlations. We can change them and one of the things about uncertainty that I'm going to say if this pen represents uncertainty is that when we look at nature, anything in nature, whether we're talking about a tree, you know, whatever's living in nature, nature grows because of obstacles, the obstacles cause nature to expand. So uncertainty actually correlates with growth and growth is a perpetual need of the human condition that if we don't grow, we start to die. Everything in the world from markets, skills, relationships, um, you know, everything in the universe is either growing, breathing out or breathing in, shrinking. It's either growing or dying or or in the words of Ray Kroc, you are either green and growing or you're ripe and rotting. That's Mm -hmm. nature. So the irony is that without uncertainty, we can't grow. And if we can't grow, we will die. So uncertainty is a fundamental requirement of life, business, relationships, money management, spiritual development, all these things is a big part of it. Now, how we can actually improve our health in terms of our relationship to uncertainty, there's many ways and one of those ways is gratitude. And um, a really, gratitude and appreciation which are synonymous, of course. And one of the direct avenues that we have to gratitude is to practice uh, what the Stoics referred to as the power of negative visualization, the power of negative visualization. And what the Stoics meant by this is that if you can frame in your mind a worse case scenario, a scenario much worse than the scenario that you find yourself in, you will suddenly get access to, gra- to be grateful mm. to what you have. And a classic example of that, Jürgen, was uh, in, the, in, in the first few days of uh, March, you know, whenever it happened in March 2020, uh, near our house where we're living in Melbourne, we lived uh, in a place called Mooney Ponds. We were located next to the Maribyrnong River. And uh, the Maribyrnong River, there's a walk you can do around there. And Silvana and I were going for a walk and we were overwhelmed because, like everyone else, because I didn't know all my trainings got canceled, my income went to zero. I didn't know what was gonna happen. I didn't know about the Zoom and how it was gonna work. Um, we were bumping into people that we knew you could see the fear on people's faces. It was quite overwhelming. And, um, and then we bumped into, and so we're, we're, we're focusing on ourselves, we're frightened. The uncertainty dial has been turned right up at an annoying level, like a really loud, obnoxious radio. And and then we bump into this lady from our gym and she said, I'm not gonna use real names here. So I'll make up names. And she said, um, did you hear about Jane? I said, no, what happened to Jane? Jane's another member in the gym. She said, oh, uh, she's got influenza A or B. Forgive me with my inaccuracy. It's one of those serious flu flu things. Um, and um, she's, she's uh, been in hospital overnight. And uh, they did some tests and they were doing all these sorts of things. And uh, they also rediscovered somehow that her breast cancer's come back. Hmm. So here's this woman... Uh, out of it, because her, of her intense dose of flu, um, has just found out that her breast cancer has come back. And she's got two children or three, I can't remember, I'll say two, I can't remember exactly what it was two. under the age of eight at home. Hmm. And Silvana and I are walking around the river going, my Lord, imagine that. And this is going to sound selfish, because it is. Suddenly, we're grateful for the situation that we were in. Hmm. Now, that's unfortunately referencing a very real worse situation. You don't need to reference real situations. You can use it your imagination to yeah. reframe things. So there's always, and I'm sure you know this already, there's always something that we can be grateful for. The fact that we can walk around the Maribyrnong River is something hmm. to be grateful for. The fact that we can move and talk and connect and be pain free is something to be grateful for. The fact that we live In Australia, for God's sake, is something to be. There's always something to be grateful for, but the fast track to it, to really turn up the dial on on gratitude, power of negative visualization. I love that. And sometimes, what will happen is, have you ever been driving on the road and had a a near miss, Jürgen? Like you know, it could have been a lot worse, like an accident, or even worse, bad accident. Well, in those situations that sometimes we face as drivers, which I've had as well, near misses is the way that instead of getting upset and angry and and reactionary to that near miss, and this person could have destroyed this and hit me and all this, instead of doing that, I picture myself, well, imagine if they had hit you, Hmm. your situation right now and what you would have to deal with in the hospital and the bills and the stress and the this and the that. And here we are, we're at the next set of lights because we're still driving. And suddenly there's this relief and there's a, it's what I call a gratitude rampage you go on a gratitude rampage It's like, how fortunate am I that that didn't happen. So this can be a psychological default, we can go to this anytime. Hence the reason why that what you the point that you bring up is so important. Because gratitude and appreciation is something that massively uh, contributes to our emotional well being and our emotional fitness.
0: Yeah, yeah. One, one of the things that I... One of the phrases I always use, in, like it's almost the first thing I think when... And maybe this is just my character or values. Um, when something happens to me, um, I mean, I'll always have a moment of feeling sorry for myself or feeling annoyed or upset with whatever's happened. Oh. Uh, but one of the things I get to very quickly is thinking, this could be a lot worse. And it's like you know, the near miss in the car of, well, that could have been a lot worse. Um and and I'll internalize that. And that in some ways that's probably an unconscious kind of expression of gratitude. Um but yes. what what you're saying, the example you gave, um, taking that walk is certainly, I mean, that hit home to us. We we were in the US recently in San Francisco, and um San Francisco, I mean it's a Beautiful city, fascinating place, um, but it has its seedy underbelly. And we um, took a walk looking for something, and it was the first day we were there, so we are out in the sunshine all day trying to adjust our um, circadian rhythm to the new time zone. And we strayed into the tenderloin, Um, Now, if you know the Tenderloin in San Francisco, it's where, Uh I mean, there are tents of homeless people along the road. Um, It smells like a toilet, the whole area. Um, There are people there who, I mean, they're all very friendly in that, but you could see pain and suffering and um, just, you know, all kinds of, sad things in in these people's faces and that to me like that highlighted you know we walked out of there i mean it was kind of confronting and we left there as quickly as we could yeah but we said to ourselves don't aren't we lucky that was that was the reaction straight away you know both of us it's like a dose of
1: what have you got to complain about yeah exactly (laughs) yeah 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 completely wow what a stark contrast huh because i'm mm. sure san francisco's got its uh, rich component oh as well.
0: absolutely yeah you know, there are some places there where you you have the feeling gee i wish i i could afford a mansion like that you know, that's yeah. that's the other the other sort of reaction <laughs> you get in a different area amazing hmm amazing all right well one of the things i know you talk quite a bit about is is relating the power of identity to this concept mm. of emotional well-being, and I know um, one of the things in all the training that I've done uh, with Joe Clark, my business coach, who you know and you trained. Yeah, <laughs> um, I forgot that, that was a connection. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, that identity is such a powerful thing, and if we say, "Well, I'm a podcaster," for example, that's my identity, and that's that's probably a harmless one. But there are other things like uh, I'm depressed, for example, is a, uh, something that Um, people talk about a lot which kind of makes that part of their identity rather than saying well I'm suffering from depression right now which is kind of put it, Mm -hmm. okay depression's over there and it's something I can work with Um, so talk to us a little bit more about that whole idea of identity and how that fits into emotional well-being and how we can kind of use that to our benefit
1: yeah Yeah, completely. Well, first of all, we need to be clear on what identity actually is. So um, other than being a self-concept, identity is what we allow ourselves to be defined by. And the key words is what we allow ourselves to be defined, but what we allow ourselves to be defined by. So what defines us owns us. We become hypersensitive to it. So to give you an example of that, If I'm defined by the results that I'm getting in my business, I'm gonna become hypersensitized to my wins and losses, which means my emotional pendulum is gonna be swinging from one extreme to another. So if I get accepted and uh, in the sense that I get some work and and I'm successful here, I'm feeling on top of the world probably way too high. And then if I get rejected, I'm swinging over this side because my identity hat is hanging off acceptance or rejection in terms of my results and, um, something. And, and so when we become aware of this, because identity is the single most powerful force in the human condition, because we will do anything to remain consistent with it. What I find fascinating is, uh, in my emotional fitness formula, the actual frameworks that I use in my work, uh, something that I've discovered was the work of Carl Jung, of course, from about a hundred years ago. He speaks about the four identity phases that we all go through. And I think these identity phases are, you know, everyone should know them because you'll 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 get you'll gain clarity on where you're at in the journey and kind of what you are evolving into. So it gives you the power of awareness, so you know what you can let go of that works and what you need to embrace that works. So Carl Jung shared that he needs to talk in archetypical language. So Carl Jung you'd would um, you know, like I'll give you an example. The, if I'm speaking with yourself, Jürgen, which I happen to be right now, but if I'm speaking with you, and well, let's just say that as I've got to know you, you display characters of patience, nurturance, um, uh, phenomenal listener, carer, uh, and kind. These, these descriptions describe what Jung, Jung would call the mother archetype. So if I called you a mother archetype, obviously you're not a mother, you're not a woman and you're not a mother. Uh, you're the opposite of all those from that level of things, uh, but you display the characteristics of the classic mother. So so the identity phases that he talks about, the first phase is the athlete archetype. So again, not to be taken literally, the athlete archetype is where we begin. And this is where we define ourselves by our physicality and our material possessions. This is typically most people in their you know, teens going into their 20s and sometimes into their 30s. And so uh, we define ourselves by other people's, and this is really important to know, we define ourselves at that stage by the opinions of other people on how we look, walk, talk. Because the core driving question, what sits at the center of the psychology of someone who's an athlete archetype, is what do you think of me? What do you think of my body? What do you think of my apartment? What do you think of my house? What do you think of my car? What do you think of my bike, etc., etc.? So, and and this is why well, this is certainly my explanation of why most people, most people uh, in their teens, into their 20s and even early 30s suffer from low self-esteem. Everything might look mighty fine on the outside, but for a lot of people at this stage of life, there's a big gap between what you see and what's actually going on on the inside. And um, and the reasons being is because I'm hanging my identity hat off your opinions on all these things. Mm. So if someone says something good, I'm all feeling great, something, something bad, and I feel bad. What happens then, somewhere in our 20s and early 30s, for most of us, our responsibilities begin to expand. There's career responsibilities for some of us. For some of us, there's business responsibilities, relationship responsibilities, money responsibilities, whether it's a mortgage or a lease or getting out and finding your own roof over your head. Um, the responsibilities expand. And as our responsibilities expand, our identity evolves because the previous identity is not enough to handle what is changing in our life. And so we transform into what's known as the warrior archetype, the warrior hunter. Not warrior is mm. in concern, but warrior is in the hunter. And and this is now our core driving question: evolves from uh, what do you think of me to what can I get? Get the skill, get the experience, get the knowledge, get the wisdom, get the girl, get the guy, get the house, get the wealth. It's a building phase. Mm. Most of us stay in that phase for a decade or two right? A long time. And although well, the decades get shorter after 50. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so, so what happens is in the warrior stage, I'm driven by this core driving question, what can I get? And I'm defining myself by my results, but not just the results in my career or in my money or in my business, but also the results of how does my wife or my boyfriend or girlfriend compare to those people's girlfriends, wives, and pe- how are my sons who are growing, comparing to the development of my friend's sons? you again, in the warrior stage, we have outsourced our power to the very good or very ordinary opinions of other people. Hmm. And so our, our self-esteem is going to continue to swing like a wild pendulum. And most of us stay in this phase. And, and, and so what happens is in the warrior stage, We've actually integrated the athlete's uh, archetype into the warrior stage because we're still kind of sensitive to people's opinion about how we walk, talk, look, and drive, and whatever we drive and wear. But not as. But that's been overtaken by our results now. But the general psychology is the same in that we've still outsourced our power to the environment. All anxiety and this and this world of uh, athlete and warrior combined is what I call. Um, and this was being inspired by the work of Dr. Wayne Dyer, rest in peace. He is that I call this the ambition-driven world. And the ambition-driven world, there's nothing wrong with it. If you're happy rocking on and, and, and climbing that mountain and winning those victories, and it's bringing you know, good feelings to you, rock on, fantastic, good on you. I say, tip my hat off too. What happens though, is that after a decade or two or even three, somewhere between the ages of 40 and 60, we realize, well, why are we doing this? Like, why, how many more victories do I need? How many more accolades do I need? We start finding that we, at some point, we begin disengaging with life. We begin losing interest in the things that once excited us, that once we valued. And we get confused by this, because like, well, if I'm not turned on by buying a new car anymore, if my spirit doesn't soar at the victory of this challenge, or if I'm not engaged in the market that I'm involved with, then what's going on with me? I experienced this personally. And uh, I remember the voices in my head saying, maybe you're getting depressed. Maybe there's something wrong with you. There's clearly something wrong because you can't seem to motivate or get yourself inspired into acting anymore. It's like, what's going on? And so what's actually happening is, the biggest, most confusing evolution of identity is when we go from the second stage of warrior into the third stage, which is what Jung referred to as the states person, the states person marks the psychological doorway into the meaning-driven world. Into the meaning-driven world. Bless his soul, Victor Frankl. Doctor Victor Frankl wrote that classic book, mm-hmm. *Man's Search for Meaning*. You know, he was yeah. a survivor of one of the most extreme um, concentration camps of uh, the world, the Second World War is Viktor Frankl says in his uh, wisdom, that he speaks in patriarchal terms, so he speaks of man, but obviously, you know, uh, humankind, I'll, I'll quote him, he says, man thinks, humankind thinks, we all think that our chief desire in life is pleasure. It's not. Our chief desire in life is meaning. And so, what happens in the ambition-driven world? We're living under this illusion that's supported by mass media and all the stuff going on around it. We're sold into the idea of: you want to get happy? Have more of this, Jürgen. You want to be happy with this? Have more. I've got a. I've got a. This is a good pen, but I've got a five hundred dollar pen that'll make you exactly. feel just amazing. There's always more, and there's and and and, and the accomplishments in the ambition-driven world have been phenomenal. It's contributed to humanity immensely. So there's great things about it. But as individuals, if we're caught up in it, there's nothing wrong with getting caught up in it, but we'll get to a point in time where we go, well, how much do I need? Because Viktor Frankl says that um, where there's a lack of meaning, we will overcompensate with pleasure. Hmm. What does that mean? It means too much alcohol too many arguments, drugs, whatever it is, it's turning it up. Uh, The addictions go next level because we're searching for meaning, but we don't know it. Hmm. And so anxiety and depression runs rampant in this ambition driven world of athlete and warrior archetype. Then one day we go through our own wake up. And I experienced this wake up in 2003, when I was completely disengaged and at the very beginnings of suffering from chronic boredom, which is one of the roads, not the road, but one of the roads to depression. And um, and fortunately for me, I came home one weekend from work and Silvana had a, had one of her closest friends there who was really happy and joyous and full of energy. I was like, What's, what are you so happy about? And she had gone to this um, residential retreat that was meditation-based and she just discovered so much about her spirit, her soul and her view of life and all this and uh, she, she, she told me who she did this training with. I went online, I looked these beautiful people up. I, I, I looked at their website, I was reading everything on there. I called them, the director answered the phone by sheer fluke again, and um, we're talking. And I said, do you have any work there? She said, no, I'm giving a very short version of a long conversation. Do you have a job? She goes, no. And, I, and then these words came out of my mouth, Jürgen, that I'll never forget. And I said to the lady, I'll come work for you for nothing. <laughs> and I was so desperate looking for meaning, but I didn't have the language or the, yeah. or, the, or the awareness to know what this meant, but I knew it just felt right. And I did. I went and worked for them for nothing. And I was there for 15 months and I did uh, vision quests, silent retreats, meditation, like a whole bunch of experiential stuff that was just delightful. I met the most beautiful people. And I didn't know, but that was me walking into the meaning-driven world. Hmm. And, and then the problem that we face in the meaning-driven world, there's only one problem. If we don't have money, we can't stay there. Yeah. So we have to integrate ambition into meaning. And, and I was running out of money. And so I, I went back to my old job after 15 months, which I couldn't stand. I, I just didn't belong there anymore. And then that was an instigator for me to start my own coaching and training business back in 2006 which was my way of making money in a meaningful way. So in the meaning-driven world, we have to integrate ambition into meaning. And in the meaning-driven world, the core driving question evolves from, what do you think of all my stuff? What do you think of me? That evolves to, what can I get, you know? Evolves into the states person, which is, what can I give? What's my content, without ego, like I'm talking minus virtue signaling and all the bullshit that goes with that these days. Like it's genuine contribution where you live your life in awareness of humanity, where this this attitude carries with you in every nook and cranny of your life. Even to the point where you're walking down a supermarket aisle, you'll see a stranger walking the other way. And because of your awareness, your contribution attitude, you'll just acknowledge this stranger walking the other way. You'll just smile and just acknowledge their existence. You might even say hello, and you keep going on and doing your business. The impact that that makes on that person can only be positive. It's not going to be a bad thing. And you don't know what's going on in their life and it's just someone smiling at you, Jürgen, and acknowledging you and saying g'day can raise your spirit. If you're on the bottom of spirit, it can elevate you. because, like, oh, someone's seen me. I'm seen. Like. Hmm. And um, so this is a very long answer <laughs> to your question. But I hope it's available to your listeners because many people don't know about these identity phases. Yeah. And, and we get lost in the crevices of these identity phases. And Jung spoke about a fourth phase, which is rare the fourth phase is the archetype of spirit. This is where in the fourth phase, we let go of our legacy, we let go of our results, we let go of our body, we realize that the words of C.S. Lewis are so true. Where C.S. Lewis once said, um, you don't have a soul, you are a soul, what you have is a body. And this is the beginning, the little door opening into the spirit world where we become more au fait, more familiar, more comfortable with the non-physical and consciousness itself. And that's a whole other conversation. Jürgen, maybe we can say that (laughs) for another. But uh, that's the identity stage that we go through. So we go through the ambition-driven world. We we disengage with it eventually. We all do at some point. We disengage Mm -hmm. with it. We then go into the meaning-driven world. Wow, this is amazing. And new relationships, new people, new things. But if we don't have money, we can't stay there. So we have to integrate ambition into meaning. There's two ways of doing that. There's, I'm sure, there's more than two ways. There's two ways of doing that. Either you go back to your old job with a new attitude, which for a lot of people doesn't seem to work, or you find a new way of mm. developing new skills that swirl your soul, and now you're making money in a meaningful way. And mm. uh, yeah, and that's the, that's the journey. Fasc- yeah.
0: on. That's a long answer Fasc- to your question. Fascinating journey, and it. Strikes me, like you mentioned earlier in the conversation about people sort of in their teens up to maybe mid-twenties of uh, being very materialistic. And there's lots of talk these days about um, young people in, in the workforce, for example, they um, have this entitlement mentality and so on and often in those conversations i I think well if if we can find they're they're looking for that meaning i think they're actually looking for that meaning unconsciously perhaps uh, but it's like they might jump from job to job and employers think oh we just got to offer more money to keep these people well it's probably different they're probably less concerned about money unless it's like a 20 percent raise of course uh, but two or three percent here or there isn't going to make a difference. But uh, if they can find that meaning, so I think there's yeah. probably we're probably all. I mean, I'm talking. I've sort of gone well beyond the age of, of what what you mentioned of um, going through those phases. But but I think everybody's at some
1: level looking for some meaning. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. And you raise another really good point, and that is that even at athlete stage, at the early stages, where and and the keyword that you you used was unconsciously looking for meaning, hmm. and uh, and they are and uh, but unconscious means we're not aware of it, yeah, so yeah. Um, so we're desperately searching through the external finding answers out there. Now the, the thing I'll say about the athlete archetype is that all these stages have to be respected. You know, it's like my sons who are fifteen twin boys they you know they're obviously in the athlete stage They will be for i don't know how long maybe 10 years 15 years five years who knows we'll see um so when my sons become overly worried about and, I, and i'm not trying to be funny here when they become overly worried about their hair dad doesn't have to worry about that anymore <laughs> um because if this happened when i was 18 and i'm not being facetious or funny or anything it would have been an identity crisis hmm. because my I am my hair, I am my body, I am my body image. So when my sons, from my vantage point, get overwhelmed or over they get stressed about their hair not looking right the morning for going to school, I don't bother saying to them, It's only your hair, it's no big deal, you'll get over hmm. that's disrespecting their identity. Hmm. So what I'll say is, well, see if you can work out a different way of how to gel your hair in the morning that works for you in a quicker way. So we're trying to help them with where they're at. Hmm. Employees are the same. If it's someone who's 24 years old and is worried about things that someone like you and I might look at and say, why are you worried about your car for, like in terms of Hmm. the image? It needs to be respected. So my response would be different. It would be, I get that. I get that that's what matters right now. And uh, as long as you don't let the car, you know, you know, take over all your finances. But I get that it's important that you spend some money in your car, I understand it. Just, yeah, do it with, you know, do it with an awareness of where your money's going. I'm not gonna say to them, it's just a car, you don't worry about Mm. that, you should be worried about these other things, because you're disrespecting that identity phase. So, um, yeah, the journey is definitely, I love Viktor Frankl's uh, philosophy. I love the way he says, what I just shared a moment ago, is that our primary desire, in his words, our chief desire is meaning, not pleasure. and. You get caught up in unconsciously chasing for meaning the ambition driven world by overcompensating with pleasures. There's only so many pizzas and chocolate and alcohol and drugs and abuse and yeah. yelling and uh, uh, TV dramas and Netflix and freaking sport that you can watch because you'll get to a point where you you've broached the doctrine of enough, you've broached it, you've gone over it. And now the pleasure Ironically transforms into this the source of pleasure transforms into the source of pain. Yeah. And yeah. we're on this sentence. going, Where are, what are we doing? What are we doing? What are we doing? Hmm. It's like, come oh, transcend it. Hmm. Well, what does that mean? Yeah. Transcend it means if I can if I can give you a, a, a slang definition of transcend, Jurgen, it's get over yourself. Your life's never been about you. And the more you focus on serving others, not to the detriment of self, but to the pleasure of self. The the more fulfilled you'll become, and that's how you transcend the the, the pleasure pain the pleasure pain spectrum. Hmm.
0: Hmm. Yeah, so much wisdom in that. And one of the things I mean, I really love about Viktor Frankl's work and his whole philosophy. I mean, if you imagine, and it, it, it's almost impossible to imagine the situation he found himself imagine. in. Um yeah. but if you sort of try to imagine that you know this is the most horrible situation possible and he had the wherewithal to say well i'm going to control what i can control and what i can control is my own attitude and my responses to what's happening to me
1: and yes. i think
0: you know that that's a pretty powerful message that i think right. we can take away from from that, that that we can apply to any situation
1: great point absolutely 100% hmm. 100% yeah
0: Our attitude is king. Yeah. All right. Well, fascinating conversation. I mean, we can obviously go on talking for ages, but I think it's a good point now to move on to the buzz, which is our innovation round. It's the same five lightning questions I ask of every guest. Ask of every guest. I'll try and say it right. Um, And the idea is that we'll get some tips from you. The listener will get some tips to turn into some amazing action that they can take today as a result. Sure. So, what's the number one thing anyone needs to
1: do to be more innovative? Uh, to ac- allow themselves to access their imagination more. Because your imagination, as someone famous said, I don't remember who it was, your imagination is a preview to what's possible. And I found that that's been true for my life. So, give yourself permission to access your imagination and trust it.
0: Hmm. Yeah, that's wise words. I think it might have been Einstein that talked about imagination. Might have been Einstein. Being,
1: yeah, being more
0: been- important than knowledge or some something along those lines yeah i think Hmm. you might be right yeah all right what's the best thing you've done to develop new ideas
1: um creativity through my writing expressing myself through the power of language on paper or on screen uh i found that by doing that as you you know providence takes over as you act take action in that particular field of creativity in my case it's it's using the power of language to describe complexities of human behavior, but translating in a way where people can relate to what we're talking about, like what we've been talking about here together. Um, And so for me, that's how I've embraced it in that it's amazing how when you start writing it around an idea, how your thoughts develop and evolve and become clearer. Um, So often people say, Oh, I I don't know where to begin. I don't know where to start. I don't know, just start,
0: Mm. just
1: move. Uh, The only way you can learn how to swim Is by getting into the pool not by reading another book there's nothing wrong with books books are phenomenal but you can't learn how to swim by reading a book you got to get in Hmm.
0: yeah um one of my favorite quotes and i don't know who who actually first said this but um it goes along the lines of you don't have to be great to start but you do have to start to be great yeah yeah that's really encapsulates it well it does it does Hmm. All right. What's a favorite resource of yours that you use most often?
1: My library, my books. I'm still old fashioned. I like to get a book off the shelf. Um, I have a uh, a habit of, um, you know, at least five, six mornings a week. I'll uh, have a book that I'm focusing on and I'll spend about 15, 20 minutes, maximum 20 minutes every morning, sometimes half an hour if I get carried away, uh, just reading that particular book. And, Mm. uh, and if I and if, if I find that I'm disconnecting with the message, I'll get on. I'll get on to another book. But most of the books that I bought, I bought for a reason. So, yeah, that's that's something that I, um, yeah, that's that's hmm. that's what it's a resource that I have that I value dearly. I love the old fashioned thing of sitting down, smelling it, flicking it, yeah. and then grabbing my pen and highlighting it. Yeah. It's not a sin to highlight someone's book. That's a great way of learning because so yeah. most of the books in my library have got my trail. So I love getting a book out and reading it. going, oh, my God, well, clearly that was important to me last time. And I'll read it and i go, oh, and i have the same epiphany. It's like the, yeah. it's a goldfish moment. It's like, oh, look, here's the end of the fishbowl. Oh, look, here's the end of the fishbowl. Oh, look, here's the end of the fishbowl. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, wonderful. Well, I, I have to say that I'm, I'm a big fan of the audiobook medium. No surprises yeah. on my podcast. <laughs> um, yeah. Part of that is because in my corporate days I was traveling a huge amount. And so I learned to use the time I was standing in queues in airports or commuting or in, in an aircraft to actually listen to something. Um, usually they were um, training books, but since then I, I now listen to fiction books as well uh, in my spare time. But this last week weekend I actually started listening to an audio book that I then jumped onto the written version. And actually, about a third of the way through it, I stopped listening to the audiobook and started reading because I found oh, wow. I just found pleasure in reading it.
1: Yeah, <laughs> that's fascinating. Wow. It is fascinating. <laughs>
0: Love hmm. it. Hmm. All right. Now, what's the best way to keep a client on track?
1: Uh, remind them of their commitment, their commitment to their outcome, their commitment to where they're heading. Because commitment is the hallmark of a, you know, psychological adult. So, uh, yep. That's the key term right there. Commitment. Yeah. Commitment to their themselves. Yeah. Commitment. It's like a consistency. It's Mm -hmm. a consistency of commitment. Um, yeah. And, and that's, and that's easier to do when you're committed to something that has meaning for you something that matters. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Excellent.
0: All right. And finally, what's the
1: number one thing anyone can do to differentiate themselves? Just to simply be themselves. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> not to consciously go and be something that you're not so you can stand out is yeah, uh, yeah. you are already unique. all of us are unique. I think it's just mind-blowing how there are like 7.8 billion different versions of the fingerprint. There's only one Jurgen one Joe. there's only one all the listeners that listen to your podcast is they're all individuals and they are individual. There's no one alike. Um, so yeah, be yourself.
0: that's it. Hmm. Excellent. All right. And don't try to be somebody else. It's actually yeah. um, a lot harder to try to be somebody else. It costs a lot more energy. It sure does. Mm. All right. Well, thanks for getting us through the buzz, Joe. And thanks for the fabulous conversation. Now, where can people find out more about the work you do
1: and, and
0: um, read your writings, listen to your podcast, and maybe even reach yeah. out? So thanks for what you've shared.
1: I appreciate you saying that. So um, I've got a, uh, my podcast is called Insights. I've got a, an Insights magazine that goes with the podcast and that's the actual 44 page magazine, but they can download for free a digital version of their magazine uh, by just simply going to It's It shows up as soon as you go into the website, you'll see there's pretty obvious and you just plug in your name and you'll get an instant uh, access to a digital version of this magazine. Uh, And also I'm excited that um, finally um, my manuscript of my book is finished and I've got a book coming out uh, in November uh, called uh, Courage to Be You, uh, A Guide to Mastering Uncertainty. So I'm looking forward to the release of that. So that'll be obviously publicized and in in my website as well. So look out for that. Look forward to that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, thanks so much for uh, sharing your time. Now, what What action would you like our listener to take away from our conversation today?
1: Um, Get curious about the meaning driven world. And one way of introducing more meaning into your life is to um, express what people mean to you, you know, express your love for people. And I don't mean walking the streets saying, hey, I love everyone. I'm talking about the people that matter to you the most. Telling them what they mean to you. Um, There's a certain portion of my library a small sort of section of my library that's dedicated to near-death experience research. And there's a fellow there called Dr. Raymond Moody who wrote a book called Life After Life in 1975. He's interviewed well over 20,000 people. Massive contribution to the research this fellow has done. And one of the themes that shows up consistently in his interviews, consistently doesn't mean every time, but a lot of the time, is that the person who's been, whose body, whose brain and heart have stopped working for about 10 or 15 minutes whilst they've experienced some other realm and then they come back into their body with this new level of awareness, a lot of them come back and they say, all that matters is, is your accolade, your victories, all that stuff doesn't matter. What matters the most is uh, how well have you loved and how well have you allowed love in? So... Tell someone that you care about, who is in your inner circle of life, express to them well how much they mean to you, and uh, and give and allow them in turn to love you back. Because sometimes what happens is it's it's easier to love someone than allow someone to love us. Hmm. So do both. So that's enough. I seem to have long answers to your questions. <laughs> you. My apologies. Well, yeah,
0: <laughs> I mean, I think that's a really good call to action and it's something people can take action on today so there you yeah, go and we'd love to hear hear back about your experiences because that will add meaning to our conversation today indeed yeah spot on well said. all right and thanks so much for your time and sharing your insights with us so
1: generously joe i've really enjoyed this and please do stay in touch now we'll do you're gonna and and please yeah i should have said this from the outset thank you so much for having me on i know that GM referred referred us together or connected us. But uh, even more than that, I appreciate you taking the time and given that we've had our technological challenges (laughs) and finally we got there, uh, it's with deep appreciation. So thank you. Yeah, thanks Joe. Thanks for listening. We'd
0: love you to leave a review on this episode. It will help us to make the podcast better for you. Simply go to lovethepodcast.com forward slash InnovaBuzz and pick your preferred platform. Remember to visit innovabiz.co forward slash flywheel and secure your membership to the exclusive Flywheel Nation community, where you'll enjoy direct access to our incredible podcast guests, engaging meaningful conversations, and participate in connection events designed to elevate your business journey. Don't miss out. Join Flywheel Nation today. Tune in again to the next episodes of the InnovaBuzz podcast where we've got yet more fantastic guests lined up. Until next time, I'm Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz. Remember, be awesome and
1: keep innovating.